After a short but tense legal battle, a suburban hospital has agreed to allow one of its COVID patients to receive a controversial treatment. Anthony Pulse has been following this story and has the latest for us tonight. Anthony? Corey and Dawn, all week we've been following the story of an Elmhurst woman who is in critical condition on a ventilator in the ICU and her daughter's legal battle to get doctors to use a drug that's not approved by the FDA to treat COVID. And tonight, her efforts appear to be paying off. She looks calm, relaxed, she looks comfortable. So this is all I can tell right now. Since her 68-year-old mom, Noria, was placed on a ventilator on April 28th, and with her condition not improving, Desi Fupe has been fighting Edward Elmhurst Hospital over the anti-parasitic drug Ivermectin. At the point of me having nothing else to lose and seeing that no other treatment in the hospital was making her any better, I wanted to try something different. Why not trying to save her life instead of seeing her decline. Ivermectin hasn't been FDA approved as a COVID treatment, but some doctors say it's proved to be effective. And despite a judge's orders, the hospital had been refusing to administer the drug until last night when it did an about face and agreed to let an outside doctor give Norea her first dose of Ivermectin. And I was really, really excited and hopeful to have this drug administered to my mom as well because from the day that she was admitted to the hospital, her condition kept only declining. Today, after her first dose, the ventilator has been reduced from 75% to 65%. That's an improvement. Now she will get a dose of ivermectin every day until recovery. Elmhurst Hospital's about face came the night before a judge was set to rule on a motion of contempt filed against it by the family's attorneys. The hospital has repeatedly declined to comment on this situation, citing patient privacy regulations. Put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Your mom's in the hospital. She's dying. Would you would you try ivermectin? Would you give ivermectin a shot if if it was a family member? But then you imagine that the hospital starts fighting you at every step of the way. They don't explain why, they just give you dogma. You're so passionate about it, though, you take it to the courts. You get a lawyer involved, you get a judge involved. The judge orders the doctor to administer ivermectin. The doctor still refuses. How would that make you feel? Then they get a, at the last minute, about face, and mom starts feeling a lot better. We talked about ivermectin almost a year ago, and I thought by now the conversation would have turned around. But instead, all we have is dogma. I haven't really talked about it very much because I couldn't care what you put in your body or how you treat whatever you catch. If you want to put UV rays up your butthole, I don't care. But I do care about a perfectly good discussion getting squashed, especially if that perfectly good discussion could have led to eradicating COVID-19. That is a real possibility. And I don't just say that lightly because now we are looking at the very, very, very likely possibility that COVID-19 will be with all of us for the rest of our lives. Every flu season, COVID-19 will be in the mix now because of our leadership's failed response. Here's Matt Taibbi with a little bit of background 
on ivermectin. The discoverer of the Nobel Prize in 2015, uh, very effective in fighting diseases like river blindness. And after the discovery of the, after the pandemic broke out, it was one of dozens of ideas that researchers had uh, about a potential treatment or cure for COVID. And there were a few trials. Early on, there was a, uh, an in vitro study in Australia that showed it was effective in eliminating COVID cells. And this uh, prompted some doctors to start treating with it. And there were some very limited positive results. And as a result of that, it started to get a little buzz, but it's become sort of mixed up in the whole hydroxychloroquine, you know, Trump, uh, Trump's idea about repurposed drugs uh, controversy. And there was, a, there was censorship of anybody sort of discussing this as a possible cure, including uh, YouTube eliminating Senate testimony by a doctor named Pierre Corey, who was advocating for it. We'll get to that testimony in a moment, but Taibbi touches on a couple of interesting points here. First of all, he's one of the few journalists writing about it because he's independently financed by his audience. Huh. Funny how that works. <laughs> right, Matt? Um, number two, he, met it, he said it in there, and I agree with him. It, it has gotten wrapped up, ivermectin has gotten wrapped up in uh, hydroxychloroquine. I, I go to say it out loud, and I can't now. Hydroxychloroquine. Chloroquine. You know, I say it out loud. It's actually not uncommon to say it just because of the discussion. But then you go to say it in a microphone and you can't say it. But it's gotten it's gotten uh, mixed up with that and um, just kind of all the random ass shit that Trump said. Like I joked about the UV lights because of it. It's all kind of gotten it's all gotten lumped in and branded as Trump ideas. And anything that was branded as Trump ideas has now been sort of doubled down as evil conspiracy, the rot of our society ideas. And by continually pushing this concept of uh, demonizing and creating hate towards a certain group of people, well, then you can just sort of write off anything that you can, and even if it didn't come from that group, if you say an idea came from that group, everyone sort of naturally just writes it off. It's human behavior. You know, those those crackpots over there, those flat earthers, think that ivermectin is useful? <laughs> you know, that's the shit they deworm horses with, right? <laughs> so that's why... Um, Minority Joy Reid spends every single weeknight villainizing other groups of people, so that way we hate anything associated with them. Check this gem out. But we begin the readout tonight with the insidious underbelly of the GQP culture war. Oh, you see what she did there? She worked Q into the GOP, <laughs> says the queen of the culture wars. Right now. In this summer before the next round of elections, Democrats across the country are preparing to run as they would normally run. You know on identity politics, because the entire Democrat platform has become identity politics. But whether they realize it or not, they are running headlong into a cultural wood chipper. Because Republicans aren't running an election. They're waging an all-out war for power that increasingly is based on and steeped in the Trump cult and even white nationalism. You know what I find incredible about this is the Democrats, really since Hillary, have been running on a platform of identity politics and they seize power through, through maneuvering within corporations and political maneuverings where they can cancel people. They seize power through the culture war. And yet, she's accusing the right of seizing power through a culture war. The two sides are accusing each other of doing exactly the same thing. <laughs> and you know what? The weird, twisted thing about humans, they're both right. 
Joy Reid's twisted view is right, and the twisted, you know, uh, view of uh, some of some hard right commentator that would be making this same spin, but just changing a couple of the uh, names and, and a couple of the words. It's it's remarkable because Republicans aren't running an election. They're waging an all out war for power that increasingly is based on and steeped in the Trump cult and even white nationalism. And no matter how reckless and dangerous that is, they're doing it, believing it will move white voters. Now, she says this, obviously trying to move voters, right? <laughs> Look no further than the ongoing hysteria over race-conscious education, what they are shamelessly and falsely misrepresenting as critical race theory. Radicalized parent activists across the country are targeting school boards. Now, this is where it gets twisted. Now, this is where I this is why I'm playing this clip, actually, is because of this section. This is what I'm talking about, villainizing a group of people, demonizing a group of people, and then labeling and branding certain ideas that you don't agree with as if they came from this group of people. Now, what she's doing is she's twisting the idea that concerned parents that don't like the direction the schools are in. And I have three kids in school and there's a lot of things I'm not happy about right now. It is in a bad way. I would expect parents to be getting more involved than ever. After a year of lockdowns where the schools boondockled a lot of that uh, remote schooling, where for half the year the systems were crashing and some schools did great and some things they aced. You know, I heard stories about school buses bringing Wi-Fi out to areas that didn't have Internet access. My kids' schools brought lunches out for a lot of the days, although, you know, we didn't always take advantage, but it's a, that's a, it's a nice gesture. Because the sad reality is a lot of America's kids don't get fed unless they go to school. So it was a good thing to see them do that. But now, to take parents, concerned parents, who are, who are trying to do the right thing and get involved, and think about this, too. This is the other thing. I don't play this joy clip here, but when, when you just, I just want you to take a moment here. Local politics is like where you have the most leverage. Your school board. And your mayor, like, that's the vote that counts, right? Out of all of the voting you do. And this is the most direct way that your time applied to politics can result in action. Is school boards, mayor elections, those kinds of local issues are where you have, as an individual, the most leverage. And now what she's doing, she's going to demonize parents who are actually taking advantage of that leverage. And she's going to cast them into this imaginary conspiracy group that doesn't even exist. QAnon has become like the George Soros for the left. It's like this all-encompassing conspiracy theory about evildoers, and they just label it as QAnon. And the right is guilty of this too, like George Soros is supposedly this mastermind orchestrator, when really he's just a rich guy investing, you know, he's a rich guy investing in shit and paying for things that he shouldn't. But let's, let's not like over-exaggerate the influence, right? There's a lot of rich guys. You can say, yeah, it's true. What, he, what George Soros's influence has been has not been good. But it, taken in full context, come on, let's be real. And so I want to play the rest of this clip for you. And I want you to look at it in a meta-analysis way, the way I look at this. And, and think about the impact this has on people that are absorbing this message from her and the way it changes the way people think about things. And then... Look at the state of discourse. For race-conscious education, what they are shamelessly and falsely misrepresenting as critical race theory. Radicalized parent activists across the country are targeting school boards. 
with behind-the-scenes help from conservative groups. So the goal now is to terrify those white voters into voting for a party that is offering nothing on policy. Zip. Zero. Nothing. By zeroing in on the amygdala of white suburbanites and scaring the hell out of them. That black Americans are conspiring to pollute their precious children's minds with dangerous knowledge and then turn them into woke future Democrats. Now, if you think it's only Joy Reid in the evenings, it's not. NBC is really going all in on this QAnon boogeyman. QAnon's in your school board. QAnon is all over your neighborhood. Keep an eye out for QAnon. This is daytime. This next clip here is daytime NBC. So what do you do if you believe that Donald Trump is a crusader secretly taking down a fictitious group of satanic child-eating cannibals, but then he gets voted out of office? For some supporters of QAnon, it turned to plan B running in local school board elections. This, that actual intro right there is a bit telling. The people writing her scripts know that QAnon is done. When Trump didn't retake the office in January, QAnon essentially fizzled out. I played clips of people who lost their QAnon religion right here on this show. You can find that in our back catalog. QAnon's done. It's being kept alive by these morons who are trying to get ratings adjacent to Trump ratings. They're so desperate for ratings that anything, anything even adjacent to Trump, they'll run with. And if that means scaring the hell out of their base with more QAnon scared conspiracy crap, they'll go for it. And they'll lean into it as hard as they can because their numbers are down dramatically. So I'm going to restart it because just listen with that appreciation. So what do you do if you believe that Donald Trump is a crusader secretly taking down a fictitious group of satanic child eating cannibals, but then he gets voted out of office? Isn't this so demeaning? It's so demeaning. For some supporters of QAnon, it turned to plan B running in local school board elections. Not under the label QAnon, though. Even its believers think that brand is toxic in the wake of January 6th and crackdowns on the movement by social media platforms. Instead, they're weaving together QAnon dog whistles, like warning against child trafficking, along with other right-wing culture war stuff, anti-masking, anti-critical race theory, all in an attempt to try to sanitize the QAnon gospel and elevate it at the same time in a new push for power. Listen to this crazy-ass conspiracy nonsense that they are spinning you. Let me bring in NBC's Ben Collins, who has some exclusive reporting out today on NBCNews.com on this. Uh, ben, my man, good morning to you. And boy, this is um, this is some bananas stuff. I feel like that's always stuff that we say whenever we have you on the air. But <laughs> That's because you're making it up. But talk about how long this has been bubbling up and the kind of success that some of these people have had in running for these local elections. I thought you just said they were being suppressed by social media. How much success are they having here? Yeah, I, I think there there has been some movement recently to try to forget about Q. And I, I yeah, there's been some mu- movement because Trump lost. Right? I understand that that you know that uh, QAnon believers sort of folded neatly back into society after their thing fell apart. It's just not what happened, you know. <laughs> no, no, we can't let that be. They're still in those same message boards, following those same influencers. They don't use the branding of QAnon. Right. Um, one of those influencers they follow is Mike Flynn, and they have taken uh, messaging from him saying, yes, General Flynn, they're they're pulling in General Flynn because we still kind of have to justify why General Flynn was completely taken out. Right. So if we can tie him to some of these groups now, General Flynn, a man whose life was completely destroyed after serving the country for a lifetime because he associated with Trump. If you know, like he has already gotten it. And I'm not I don't know. You know, he's probably a dick bag like they all are. I'm not trying to defend the guy. 
<laughs> like General Flynn. Like General Flynn. Do you even know who he is when I'm talking about him right now? As as if he has some huge following. <laughs> so stupid. Neatly back into society after their thing fell apart. It's just not what happened. You know, they're still in those same message words, following those same influencers. They don't use the branding of QAnon. Um, One of those influencers they follow is Mike Flynn, and they have taken uh, messaging from him saying, run for school board, run for local office, get involved in the education of our children, is what he's saying. They've taken that and put that at the top of their QAnon forums. Which, you know, that's so horrible because that's exactly what the left wants to do is influence the children. And I can tell you they've done it. They have they have. It's not like something they want to do. It's something they've done. My, all three of my kids think this is the worst country ever, despite what I try to tell them. They think this is just the most horrible country ever. They also all think that we've got like 10 years left before climate change is going to kill us all. They're teaching my children this, right? And that's just the tip of the iceberg of the stuff that they're telling my kids. So let's be clear. There is obviously an agenda on both sides to influence the curriculum. What's ironic and also just so projectionist of the media is they're calling the right out for the very thing that they do. And they will say explicitly, by the way, um, there was a, I, one of my favorite posts that I read about this. There was a person that said, QAnon parents, you should do this on one of their forums. And the top post was, there's no QAnon. There's no such thing as QAnon. Stop saying there's QAnon. Yeah, I wonder why that was the top post. I wonder, so if it was the top post, does that mean everybody voted that one up as if it represented the majority's view in the thread? The media looks uh, to like brand QAnon followers as extremists. If you say we're QAnon, uh, everything we say is going to be viewed as toxic. So they are aware of this. Uh, and they what are, are these- however, now just trying to mask that. Yeah. The cognitive dissonance here is incredible. It really is. It doesn't matter what the facts are. It's all about the narrative. And the hate works. The hate really works. Because like I mentioned Dr. Corey Pierre earlier, uh, he was, he's been completely discredited, even though the man has spent his entire life in the medical field just as a doctor. Uh, back in December, he was in a Senate hearing. And he testified that he felt like Avermectin needed further research. Now, that testimony has been pulled down everywhere. Now, your unfiltered show doesn't publish on YouTube. So I'm going to play it for you because ain't nobody taking us down for this. And I just want you to hear a little bit of his testimony. It was longer, so I'll link to the entire thing in the show notes. But I pulled a couple of minutes just of just of like the probably the essentials. Senator, thank you. And, and thank you for uh, holding this hearing. This is December 8th, 2020. I just want to start out. I didn't think I'd have to say this, but I want to register my offense at the ranking member's opening statement. I was discredited as a politician. I am a physician and a man of science. You might remember the, the parts of this clip. I played it in the show previously, but I want to play the whole thing for you now. I've done nothing, nothing but commit myself to scientific truth and the care of patients. And, and to hear that I'm here because of a political angle, I am not a politician, I'm a physician. I want to start out by saying that I'm not speaking as an individual. I'm speaking on behalf of the organization that I'm a part of. We are a group of some of the most highly published physicians in the world. We have near 2,000 peer-reviewed publications among us, led by Dr. uh, Professor Paul Marek, who is our intellectual leader, We came together early on in the pandemic, and all we have sought is to review the world's literature on every facet of this disease, trying to develop effective protocols. You just mentioned that I was here in May, and I touted, I wouldn't say touted, I recommended that it was critical that we use corticosteroids in this disease, when all of the national and international healthcare organizations said we cannot use those. 
that turned out to be a life-saving recommendation. I am here again today with a new recommendation. In the last nine months, in our review of all of the literature as a group, again, we are some of the most highly published physicians in our specialty and the world. We have done nothing but try to figure out how to identify a repurposed and available drug to treat this illness. We have now come to the conclusion after nine months, and I I have to point out, I am severely troubled by the fact that the NIH, the FDA, and the CDC, I do not know of any task force that was assigned or compiled to review repurposed drugs in an attempt to treat this disease. Everything has been about novel and or expensive pharmaceutically engineered drugs, things like tocilizumab and rendesivir and monoclonal antibodies and vaccines. We have 100 years of medicine development. We know we are expert in all the medicines we use, and I do not know of a task force that has been focused on repurposed drugs. I will tell you that my group and our organization, I will say that we have filled that void. We, that is all we have done is focus on the things we know and things we do. And I'm here to tell you, Dr. Ryder, he just presented. It was one, he has one study of the many that I want to talk about. And I want to talk about that we have a solution to this crisis. There is a drug that is proving to be of miraculous impact. And when I say miracle, I do not use that term lightly. And I don't want to be sensationalized when I say that. That is a scientific recommendation based on mountains of data that has emerged in the last three months. When I am told, and I just had to hear this in the opening sentence, that we are touting things that are not FDA or NIH recommended, let me be clear. The NIH, their recommendation on ivermectin, which is to not use it outside of controlled trials, is from August 27th. We are now in December. This is three to four months later. Mountains of data have emerged from all, from many centers and countries around the world showing the miraculous effectiveness of ivermectin. It basically obliterates transmission of this virus. If you take it, you will not get sick. I want to briefly summarize the data. My manuscript, again, published by some of the the, the most, we have contributed more to the medical knowledge of our specialty in our careers than, than anyone else can claim as a group. And our manuscript, which was posted on Medicine Preprint Server, details all of this evidence. I want to briefly summarize it. Number one, we have evidence that ivermectin is effective not only in prophylaxis, in the prevention. If you take it, you will not get sick. We just came across a trial last night from Argentina by the lead investigator of ivermectin in Argentina, Dr. Hector Carvalho. They prophylaxed 800 healthcare workers. Not one got sick. In the 400 that they didn't prophylax with ivermectin, 58% got sick. 237 of those 400 got sick. If you take it, you will not get sick. It has immense and potent antiviral activity. We know that from the first study in Monash, it has made the bench to the bedside. Prophylaxis, we now have four large randomized controlled trials totaling over 1,500 patients, each trial showing that as a prophylaxis agent, it is immensely effective. You will not get sick. You will be protected from getting ill if you take it. In early outpatient treatment, we have three randomized controlled trials and multiple observation as well as case series showing that if you take ivermectin, the need for hospitalization 
and death will decrease. The most profound evidence we have is in the hospitalized patients. We have four randomized controlled trials there, multiple observation trials, all showing the same thing. You will not die, or you will die at much, much, much lower rates. Statistically significant, large magnitude results if you take ivermectin. It is proving to be a wonder drug. It has already won the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 2015 for its impacts on global health in the eradication of parasitic diseases. It is proving to be an immensely powerful antiviral and anti-inflammatory agent. It is critical for its use in this disease. We may need some faith healers. <laughs> it's a powerful clip, and you can hear how desperate and how frustrated he is, and at moments, it's a pleading that he has. Please just listen. And just like the doctor, I'm not actually saying, please take ivermectin. I, I, I think... You know, if if uh, if it was somehow offered, like, say, this had you know not all this crap hadn't happened, and ivermectin was one of the recommended treatment options, I'd still want more information because I would be worried about it screwing up my gut bacteria. I have taken stuff like this before, and uh, it messed my gut bacteria up for well, it's still messed up, really. It's been years. It's been years, and these kinds of things can have side effects that you know. I mean, maybe it's, I guess that's better than getting COVID, though. So I would just want more information. And that's why what I think is so crazy about censoring this guy and and the fact that YouTube pulled down Senate testimony because he's not asking for like everybody to go around and pop an ivermectin. He's just asking for people to review the research. Last recommendation was August 27th, August 27th. I want to be clear. I am not here as a politician or a dramatist or, or sensationalizing what I'm recommending. I'm going to be very clear and very simple. All I ask is for the NIH to review our data that we've compiled of all of the emerging data. We have almost 30 studies. Everyone is reliably and reproducibly positive, showing the dramatic impacts of ivermectin. Please, I'm just asking that they review our manuscript. It is a serious manuscript by serious, highly experienced physicians and researchers. It's starting to happen. A little bit. But I'd like to know why you think it's not happening. Unfilter.show slash Discord or unfilter.show slash contact. Why do you think it's... Is, it, is there something I'm not seeing here? Is there something else? I hate to put it out there, but if I was going to fry a little bacon... I think I have a conspiracy bacon theory as to why it's not out there. You know what we always say on the show? Show me the money! We begin tonight with the breaking news just a short time ago, that panel of scientists and doctors giving the green light, recommending the FDA issue that emergency use authorization for Pfizer's COVID vaccine. The emergency use authorization, I believe, requires there's no viable treatment in the market. In order for that authorization to stand, and all the vaccines are using that emergency authorization. And that emergency authorization that passed in the light of really dire news. Right here in the U.S., of course, it's now in the FDA's hands, and a final decision could come at any time. Millions of doses already ready to be shipped from Pfizer's facility near Kalamazoo, Michigan, all over the country. It does bring hope on a day when we witness something else, a terrible number, one of the darkest 24 hours in this pandemic. A record 3,124 Americans lost to the virus in a single day. More Americans than were killed on 9-11 from the virus in just 24 hours, about one death every 30 seconds. 
that grim and growing toll adding urgency to the FDA's hearing over Zoom today. A panel of outside experts weighing the risks and the benefits, including those reports in the UK, of those two frontline workers having an allergic reaction after the shot. You know, just those two workers. But that, that was the background in which emergency authorization was passed. But then how do you maintain that emergency authorization? Well, I think you do it by squashing any discussion around viable alternatives. That would be my conspiracy bacon. It may not be what the case is here. But, you know, if you think big government is actually controlled by bigger business or big business, and you think maybe the pharmaceutical industry is one of the more influential industries in that government, I could see how it would happen. And they are getting billions of dollars from the federal government to research an anti-parasitic solution that could be used as a treatment that'll probably end up looking a lot like ivermectin, but it'll be a lot more expensive. I just hope we figure it out, though. I, it just seems to me that we could be investing more in treatment. And if we invested more in treatment while people have it, we could be eliminating the virus at, at, at least some clip faster than we are now. And when I think about the lives lost... And all of the families impacted by that. And when I look at the numbers rising right now, as I record this, especially in California, and the talk of the Delta and the Delta Plus variant, there's even whiffs of lockdowns again in the air. And if there was something out there that could be cleaning this up, that could be helping, and we're just ignoring it so that way we can continue to have emergency authorization for the vaccines, That'd be one of the darkest things in America's history. It'd be truly sad and sadistic. And it would make me really think that there's no saving this country. That it is completely sold out to corporate interests no matter what the cost. When you look at the lockdowns and the lives lost and the fact that you and I are going to live with COVID-19 for the rest of our lives, if ivermectin could have changed the trajectory of any of that, I think it was worth looking at the research. We better figure it out quick because I'm worried about Levi because now the Delta variant's coming for my puppy. Lives will be lost. And I was even reading today there's some speculation, some judgment that's coming out that you may be able to even communicate the vaccine, the, uh, the, the, uh, um, the new uh, variant to your pets. There you go. Eloquently articulated by our president. Trying to scare you, but failing to do so because the words just can't get, just can't get out, just can't get them out. Just can't do it. It's all right. I'll make sure I get Levi vaccinated. Maybe I'll give him a, maybe a little uh, preemptive um, ivermectin, right? Yeah, I'll be sure to do that. Maybe I'll put a little ivermectin on a cracker. Feed it to him that way. You know, they have sour apple on Amazon. <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. All right, thank you for joining me on this episode of Unfilter. You can support the show at patreon.com slash unfilter. Links and a lot more at unfilter.show. Thanks for joining me. See you soon. Joint. Sound like you're on heroin or something. What?